Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. One of the things that I always try to bear in mind when I add features is I don't want to make work for my users. And some people are completionists. So I don't want to make people feel like they have to go around filling all this information in um, because it is, it's just used for the search indexing at the moment. Now, further down the road, I have some ideas for how that could be used in other ways. And then maybe I'll come back to looking at making that something that you can edit. Welcome back to our episode of iPad Pros. This is an exciting one. Back on the podcast is Canis, the developer behind the fantastic Ferret Recording Studio for iPad and iPhone, the app that I use to edit this podcast. He was last on the show in September of 2018 for episode 34 to cover version 2 of the app. Now, some four years later, version 3 is out, and there are some really incredible additions that have transformed how quickly I can get a good edit of the show out. And with Stage Manager getting better and better, it's really fun using this on a big external monitor as well. So in this episode, we dive deep into every aspect of Ferrate version 3 and touch a bit on how Canis sees and uses the iPad. As a reminder, you can support this show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. With that said, here's my interview with Canis. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Canis. Uh, thanks for inviting me back. It's uh, It's been, what, four years? Why does it feel like a lifetime? Yeah, so um, September 2018 for episode 34 was the last time uh, you were on. So it's been some time, and uh, I think we episodes. chatted about... <laughs> yeah, I think we chatted about um, Ferret 2 at that yeah. point. I think it was might have been new at that point. So it's it's been a while since Ferret's had a big update like this. So I'm excited to dive into what's all new here. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been... Uh trying to get everything together into one big splashy launch <laughs> no and it's exciting because there is so much to dive into here but uh i guess before we dive into ferry three which is kind of the point of our, our discussion here today is i guess a catch up on the ipad in general for you um like what's your current setup these days and what's kind of your relationship to the ipad what role does it have for you these days so my sort of uh, day-to-day ipad is actually quite old it's a 2017 mm-hmm. ipad pro 10.5 inch still has an actual okay. home button um yeah and the advantage of this is that it sort of uh, keeps me honest because if i'm making sure that it runs that my apps run nice and fast and smooth on a five-year-old device then it's definitely yep. going to be okay on something that's brand new. Um, whereas, you know, if you've always got the latest and greatest, then sometimes you can forget about people who are maybe a, a generation or two behind. For sure. And I love that generation of iPad Pro. It's the one where they added ProMotion mm-hmm. and all the dis- true tone. And that's where they improved the display technology to pretty, pretty much where it is today, except for the XDR iPad Pro. Yeah, but it's it, a big it was a ba- vast improvement, mm. yeah. So and I'm especially a big fan of the 10.5. I think that's the best home button iPad with the super narrow bezels on the side of that that model. Yeah. Obviously, as a an app developer, it's not the device I do the most work on, but it's the one that I mm-hmm. like using the most. Um, yeah. It's just very nice to hold it in the hand because I'm still one of the yeah. people that likes to actually pick it up and hold it and uses. I think I might be the only person left who still uses an iPad in portrait mode. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do like doing handheld portrait mode in Ferrite with Apple Pencil. It's a nice experience doing that, and you get more tracks going vertically. It's, you know, uh, that's, that's a nice experience. Yeah, it's that sort of uh, clipboard-style experience. Yeah. So um, 
I guess we'll we'll talk about stage manager a bit later because um, ferrite does work really well on a big external monitor. Um, that's something I've been been using a twenty seven inch monitor with ferrite, and that's like a very cool thing to experience. I'm not sure um, what kind of feedback you've had from the testers uh, using stage manager with ferrite. Um, I haven't had a lot of feedback. Um, I don't, cause my iPad doesn't support stage manager, but obviously I've been using the, the iPad simulator to test things out and make sure that it's, that it works well with it. But, um, I did get a screenshot sent from somebody who had Ferrite hooked up to an Apple Pro Display XDR. Very nice. <laughs> 6K 30 inch <laughs> display. It's so beautiful. <laughs> you have to put the kind of shining eyes emoji here. Um, yeah. And that was kind of, okay, that's a thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Personally, even on the Mac, I like my apps to fill the screen most of the time. So I'm probably not totally. the target mm -hmm. market for Stage Manager. But um, yeah, I do try to make sure Ferrite works with all the different ways that people might want to come at it in, you know, all the different ways like, you know, mouse, keyboard, pencil, trackpad, fingers, the lot. And that includes things yeah. like Stage Manager. Yeah. One of my favorite things with Stage Manager just on the iPad screen itself is using Ferrite in kind of like a narrow wide view yeah. and having like Twitter in the background and you can scroll Twitter without making it the active app with the trackpad yeah. or even your finger. So you can be editing and having the main focus and keyboard shortcuts all behave in Ferrite, but be kind of scrolling, you know, uh, a content thing in the background while working, which is uh, pretty nice because before split screen was the opposite is like vertical slices, yeah. which isn't great for audio editing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a nice change. A fun thing I've been doing is uh, actually with universal control, because obviously I'm sitting at my desk working on uh, yeah. Xcode, but then I can just wave the mouse off of one edge of the screen and it appears on the iPad. And that's kind mm -hmm. of an interesting way to work as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, also, the keyboard comes along with mm. it for the ride. So I get all the keyboard shortcuts there. Um, very nice. Yeah. So... Um, as far as new iPad apps since 2018, has anything kind of entered your, your space as far as what you use on a personal basis? I have been living under a rock for most of this year getting this <laughs> update uh, out of the door. So um, I'm probably not the person to tell, uh, turn to for the latest and greatest iPad apps, but um, okay, yeah, I am starting to just crawl out from under that rock and look around. And I've downloaded uh, Obsidian, which I've looked at a bit on the Mac, and I want to look at on the iPad, mm -hmm. but I haven't had time to get into it deep yet. Gotcha. I've always been a, an avid user of Things by Cultured Code. That's not new, but mm -hmm. I've been using it since version 1.0. I think it came yeah. out around the same time as I was starting Rudy Juice. So it's kind of always been there throughout. I use documents by Readle quite a lot as well. It's just straightforward mm -hmm. file manager and uh, document browser and so on. And that's, I know that the files app has taken over a lot of that these days, but it has really nice PDF handling. Yeah. With things, is that kind of the app you'll use to like jot down ideas for future updates for Ferrari? Yeah, everything goes into things. Um, yeah. It has Siri support, so I can just speak into my watch while I'm wandering around the kitchen cooking yeah. and have an idea. Um, so, yeah, it's it's where everything goes first. Yeah. Uh, do you have any general thoughts uh, just about the iPad's direction 
and where it's headed. Uh, you know, we have hover support now with Apple Pencil, and you know, it's not a huge update, but uh, yeah, any general thoughts on the OS and hardware and where it's been going? I love the iPad. It's great to just pick up and hold, and you know, move around the house and be able to work from anywhere, not just sitting at a desk where something could be propped open with a keyboard. Yeah, and but it's it's the most flexible, I think, because. You can add that keyboard if you want it. You can add the trackpad if you want it, or you can mm -hmm. go without. You can use the pencil, which nothing else supports. You've got mouse support as well. It's that flexibility that I really like about it. Um, and as I say, I, I'm kind of an OG iPad user in that kind of, I'm really into the multi-touch side of things. A lot of the apps that yeah. I make have been heavily multi-touch based um, and then branched mm -hmm. out into other areas. Before Ferrider made a lot of uh, music apps, and of course they be they benefit from you being able to do things like play chords, which you just can't yeah. do with other input methods. No. <laughs> it's just a real game changer. <laughs> that mm -hmm. there's a tendency for journalists when they report about the iPad to view everything through the lens of the keyboard because they're journalists; they type for a living, and so it's perfectly yes. reasonable. You know, it's a very reasonable point of view to have is to look at it from that mm -hmm. keyboard-oriented point of view. But yeah. for musicians, podcast editors, and many other roles, the keyboard isn't the be-all and end-all. And having no. multi-touch suddenly enables a, a completely different way of looking at it. And I think that um, as long as the iPad doesn't forget about that, it's in a good place. Yeah, yeah, agreed. The, the versatility really makes it what it is, and I'm glad it's there. And it's even more versatile with the external monitor support. It becomes kind of like a pseudo Mac experience when you want to be and then yeah. you can be a tablet when yeah. Yeah, I think the um I think that's gonna be interesting to see. Because now that they've become so powerful, these M one iPads and M two iPads, it's just it's insane how much power they have. And then you hook it up to a, a desktop uh monitor and input devices and really it is extremely desktop like experience especially for something like ferrite but then just unplug and go and sit in a, a park and edit if you want to <laughs> yeah definitely and uh let's dive into ferrite so ferrite uh, for those that haven't used it before what's kind of your your elevator pitch on on what this app is. So Ferrite is an audio recorder and, edit and editor. And unlike something like GarageBand, it's streamlined in the same way that a voice memo app is in that you can just open it up, hit the record button right away. You don't have to create a project. You don't have to set anything up. You just open it up and go. But when you finished recording, you can open that up into a completely fully featured multi-track editor. And it has a lot of powerful features like effects and automation, strip silence templates, and all of this kind of stuff that really helps people create things like podcasts and radio programs. Um, because it's really focused on the spoken word rather than music. So it's much, mm -hmm. yeah, it's aimed at that kind of production of episodes workflow. Yeah. And it comes at a time, GarageBand used to be more podcast oriented and they shifted to purely music. So it's like a perfect filling of what GarageBand for me used to be and so much more capable from what Apple yeah, I feel did like, with that. I feel like GarageBand has gone backwards a little bit. I think it used to support like, uh mp3 podcast chapters and doesn't anymore is that right it was aac enhanced that uh, they dropped support of right, yeah right 
And that was just in the Mac version. The iPad version never was there. They already made that transformation prior to iOS being a thing. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it seems like even though they've gotten into podcasting from an actual uh, supplying podcasts point of view, I mean, obviously, they've always had the podcast. Yeah, they have a business of yes, it now exactly. of selling the subscription. Mm. So it's, it's, it's interesting they haven't had, like, a podcast editing app for, uh, by themselves. Yeah, but now that's where Ferrite really fills this. Yeah. And it's great because it really feels like a custom-built app. I think Jason Snell's mentioned on his podcast, like uh, a lot of the features uh, you've you've heard from podcasters like Jason and kind of implemented what we're looking for in, in shows. Yeah, podcasters and radio journalists in particular are the people that have had the most feedback and input into the design of Ferrite. Yeah, and the, the one marquee feature in Ferrite 3, uh, I've been using the beta and it's now out as this episode is being released, Um is the ability to edit and you know at double speed, and this is something I've never done before using Ferry Three. I know Jason did it in Logic, and he'd do some shows that way. And I have to say, it's transformative to just my life. Um, I have less time than ever as a new parent, <laughs> and uh, being able to edit an hour show in thirty minutes is remarkable. And I at first I tried double speed, and I couldn't. Um, it was too fast for me. So I started at 1.25 and and then 1.5 and then so I'm at, I'm at the point where I just hit 2 and it's fine like it, it's kind of amazing how your mind makes that switch. It is funny. I mean, um because I make audio apps, I have quite a lot of users who can't see the screen. They use the voiceover accessibility system to yeah. be able to use the app. And occasionally they will send me a recording so that I can hear what it sounds like to them. And mm-hmm. they have the the voice cranked up so fast, and I am <laughs> just amazed that anybody can understand that because it is so yeah. quick. But you just you just adapt. It's and yeah. in the same way, this is the same thing. When you first tried two times speed, it was too fast for you, but you quickly adapt. You start you build up to it, and yeah, it, it saves so much time when you're editing. Being able to just um, sorry, let me catch my breath. <laughs> Yeah, I have had too much coffee today because for your <laughs> listeners who may not know, today is the day that I released uh, Ferrite 3 to the App Store. So it has been a long day. Um, <laughs> so, yes. But uh, I, I, yeah, I can tell you, like, it's it actually like changes like if I want to start an edit, it's like, oh, there's this, you know, hour long or 90 minute edit. Um, if it's a 30 minute edit. It's like, oh, I can just do this all right now versus like weighing the pros and cons of starting the edit. And it, it I, and it's, it's probably been over tens of hours already that saved me just in the months I've been using it. So like I, I imagine over my career, it'll be <laughs> the thousands of hours that you're saving me by adding this feature. Yeah, because you just, you just crank it up and start listening and then you can just drop back down to normal speed when you actually need to make changes. So it's just mm-hmm. a quick way yeah. to... Because that's always the thing with audio that makes it just a little bit less accessible than something like text is trying to figure out where you need to edit because you can't just fling the, you just can't just uh, scroll the window up and to see a type yeah. or something. You have to be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's where being able to preview at faster speeds is really helpful. Yeah. And things like coughs are super obvious, mm. even at 2x speed. And uh, as you said, you can go back to normal speed when there is some serious editing that needs done. 
And there's also a 0.5 speed, which I think would probably be useful for, like, you're trying to isolate, like, a single little word attached to another word, and that's where that might come in handy, I think. Yes, and also there's a couple of areas where that all sort of ties together is what I was saying earlier about accessibility is it's very helpful if you can't see the screen to be able to play back slower so that you can pinpoint just using start and stop to the exact place where you want to make an edit. And we've also added scrubbing in Ferrite 3, which uh, if people aren't aware is where you grab the playhead with your finger and move it around. And as you do, the audio that's underneath the playhead is previewed in a kind of burbly sort of way that um, lets you hear where you are. And you can use that both zoomed out. So for example, if you were listening to uh, a finished podcast and you skimmed through, you you might you wouldn't be able to hear the individual words, but you would hear things like um, ad breaks because of the change in tone and um, musical yeah. stingers and so on. You'd be able to hear that under your finger as you move it around. But then when you zoom in, you can really hear individual bits of words as you move the playhead so it's very helpful for orienting orientating yourself within the project and for um finding those exact edit points yeah now and how big of a deal was it to implement this like the audio engine was it a whole rewrite kind of like is this is very three kind of like a brand new app in many ways um it's not a complete rewrite of ferrite 3 um it's always been there's no point where i sat down and went file new project but what i yeah. did do was in a separate project <laughs> you know i would spend time prototyping um in a standalone app get something working and then integrate it into ferrite and you might even see examples of that in i think i may have posted bits on twitter from maybe years ago of stuff that ended up in ferrite 3 that were just experiments mm -hmm. back then didn't know if they were going to go anywhere or not um as far as the audio engine goes that was a complete rewrite uh that just from scratch rewrite of the audio engine yeah. and it enables the scrubbing it enables the fast preview um and see the funny thing about the old engine was as i mentioned before i before ferrite i was making quite a lot of musical apps and mm -hmm. i didn't know if there would be a market for a podcast editor i hope there would be yeah. obviously but yeah <laughs> if not, in the back of my mind was always the idea that maybe i would end up having to pivot to be a musical app after all since they are quite popular mm -hmm. so i took the audio engine from one of my music synthesizers and used that as the basis of the audio engine in Ferrite because it was a very powerful audio engine that did many things. Yeah. But the needs of a musical app are kind of different because a musical app always plays in real time because you're literally mm -hmm. performing live. You're pressing keys on a piano or and, and recording yeah. that. There is no concept of fast playback when you're yeah. performing. Um, yeah, you may, in a mix, like increase the speed of something if you're doing something maybe a bit more... Um avant-garde where you're playing around with the speed of the recording but for editing real time you would never i think play back that speed. but the other thing is it supported midi so if you're playing from a midi mm. keyboard this is this is getting way into the weeds but uh yeah <laughs> but because midi uh, i mean again if people aren't aware midi is a standard that allows different musical devices to con communicate with each other and send musical information backwards and forwards and it came out in yeah it's what i used as a uh composer mm. to hook up a, a keyboard yeah. to like a mac or even ipad now 
to like play C on the keyboard and it puts it in there. It's like, yeah, so that's how it all communicates. And it came out in the 80s when even quote powerful unquote computers probably had less processing power than a, <laughs> a smart socket. Um, yeah. And so it was quite slow. And so what they would do is send all the notes in advance with timestamps so that that would yeah. make sure that there was plenty of time for the messages to arrive and then it would queue them up. And then when the timestamp got to the current time, it would know to play the note. So that meant that it had to schedule everything in advance. Mm-hmm. which meant that uh, my synthesizer apps had to do the same thing when they received MIDI information because they could be receiving events that are destined for the future. Yeah. As you can imagine, scheduling events for the future <laughs> doesn't play nicely <laughs> with... With 2 yeah. speed. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. I didn't realize MIDI was from the 80s. It predates USB. And I actually remember back from high school, I had like a an actual MIDI plug and on the other end was USB because MIDI is a, a standard predating that. And I actually kind of forgot that was a thing because these days it's either Bluetooth or USB. Yeah. There's no MIDI port as there that, that there's an actual port. Yeah. It's all the same standard, but it, it, uh, the protocol is kind of piggybacked on top of USB nowadays. But yeah, back then it was literally right down to the specification of it had a particular shape of plug and everything that was just for MIDI. Mm-hmm. And I think first computer I ever saw that supported it was the Atari ST, which if anyone remembers that 16 uh, bit, uh, computer from the eighties. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Different time entirely. Just yeah. So, so relating to the audio engine is are the audio plugins, and I I occasionally use Bruce Free if I have a really bad recording with a lot of background noise, and um, more often than not in the past I'd go to the Bruce Free app and do the cleanup there, because on iOS and iPadOS the kind of the audio network of plugins is kind of hit or miss sometimes like it'll like pretend it's working in the actual edit but for the export sometimes it gets a bit um it just kind of, kind of doesn't work sometimes um has the new audio engine kind of done anything as far as how it talks to these plugins and either similar reliability in the past or better or how's that all changed if at all i mean the new audio engine uses different underlying technologies from Apple. Mm-hmm. And so it may improve that. It's not something that I set out to do, but it may simply because it's yeah. using a more modern API. But that's kind of in Apple's okay. hands because right. what we're doing here is talking to another app. And as you know, Apple it doesn't actually like apps to <laughs> talk to each other directly for the most no, part. No, they don't. So <laughs> this whole process is kind of rooted through Apple for them to sort of gatekeep and make sure that no one's yeah. doing anything naughty. And so we don't actually talk to the apps directly. So right. I can't actually say for sure. I think it will probably be yeah. better because it's using the more modern APIs. Okay. What I have done is updated the way that not all plugins supply a user interface. And for ones that don't, mm-hmm. Ferrites automatically generates them. And the new oh, very automatically cool. generated ones are now more flexible. They support more features. So, for example, before you would just get dials for each of the controls. And that didn't always mm-hmm. make sense because some of the controls weren't really variable controls. They were you know, they just had effectively they were a multi-choice picker, but it didn't know that. But now you should actually get a pop-up menu with all the choices listed. Or if it's an on-off switch, you should actually get a switch to flick it on or off and so on. 
So that's a bit more uh, flexible and powerful. Um, the other thing talking about noise reduction in particular is Apple actually added a new voice isolation plugin in iOS 16. So that might be worth taking oh. a look at. I mean, again, yeah. it's an Apple thing, not a Ferrite thing, but right. um, I have tried it in Ferrite and it seems to work pretty well. Because you integrate with all the Apple first-party plugins within Ferrite yeah. directly. So it's just one of the new included ones or improved upon ones. And I'd imagine that's related to their whole FaceTime voice isolation. You have these different modes within FaceTime. I, I'd imagine it's piggybacking off that technology. I imagine it is. I mean, just in general terms, Apple have a lot of interest in doing voice isolation, whether it's for FaceTime or whether it's for making sure that Siri can hear you um, when there's background noise or just you know, f simple phone calls. So they've got a lot of experience yeah. in background subtraction um so uh as a multi-trillion dollar corporation they can attack yes. that problem a lot better than i can yeah i'll have to try that out for some of the more tricky uh sound files i, I have to deal with uh anything else on the audio engine and playback speed uh, in general before we move on i don't think so um, okay so um Big picture for Ferret 3, outside of the audio engine, the faster playback, what are some of the other big key things that people should be checking out and excited about? Well, I think we've covered the really big one, uh, which is the you know, the engine, but um, the, the main things are that there's been extensive rewrites of the user interface and the, uh, the system that handles the library, which is where all of the recordings and projects and templates and, and stuff live. Those have both been completely rewritten from scratch, and that enables uh, a lot of stuff to be improved. With the with the user interface, I don't know where you want to start, really. Cause yeah, so it, I mean, it, every piece feels like, not every piece, but majority of the app, it feels new in some way. And I guess I guess the library should be one of the places we start, because that's what you'll you'll first see if you have a big iPad. Is it is it just the twelve point nine or does the eleven inch size class also do the sidebar? Um, the sidebar works all the way down to the very largest iPhones. So um, oh, if they're in so if you have a Max, yeah, okay. So if you're working on like a twelve or thirteen Pro Max, uh, yeah, you'll have that sidebar there on the phone. That that's really cool. I'll put, I, I don't use it often on the phone. I'll sometimes do recordings there um, for just a voiceover. But yeah, I think um, um, check that out. It's less common to use the iPhone for podcasters because of just the sheer scope of what you're editing. But um, yeah, for journalists, it's incredibly useful because they can just go out into the field with this tiny little device and get on yeah. the street, you know, like vox pop style interviews and stuff like that, and then they can just take those edit them together and then because they're connected you know over the mobile mm -hmm. network they can just send that straight to their studio for broadcast yeah and i never actually thought about it but iphone does support external keyboards there's no trackpad but you could if you wanted to hook up an external keyboard is that all that supported within yeah, it should ferry? yeah so if you want to you could bring a little bluetooth keyboard with you and do an edit you know if it's a simple two-person edit that might not be a terrible experience on the bigger phones, yeah. Yeah, so you were asking about the library, and yeah, the yeah. there's a kind of database that keeps track of all your stuff, and it's not the source of truth, so um, it's, you know, we all know that databases, sometimes something goes wrong with databases, and it doesn't matter, because if anything goes wrong, it can just trash it and rescan all of your files, because it's mm -hmm. the files that are the source of truth. That's all that matters. Yeah. 
the database mm-hmm. is there just to speed things up. So um, so it will scan your files, create this database, uses that as a search index. And so now there's a lot more powerful search features. Um, we've got yeah, faster searches, more powerful searches, smart folders, template folders, and behind the scenes because of, I don't want to get too deep into things like Swift concurrency, yeah. but it means <laughs> yes. that you can take a deeper look at the files and the links between them. And that powers some of the new features uh, because it, it can get more context and information about what it's looking at and as far as search that's been rewritten or i guess the library in general and you can do new things within search Mm -hmm. you're uh, able to search within like i believe like the description you have in the audio um file and there's an option for people searching Mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure how to add a person to a file though that'd be great to know so what that searches is if you've imported say uh, music into your library that will search the artist field in the ID3 tags of the MP3. Oh, I see. And for any yeah. of your projects, either the actual project files themselves or if you export those back to your library as audio files, then the author field of the project will also be searched for people. At the moment, there isn't a way to actually add people because one of the things that I always try to bear in mind when I add features is I don't want to make work for my users. <laughs> Yes. And some people are completionists. So I don't want to make people feel like they have to go around <laughs> filling all this information in um, uh-huh. because it is, it's just used for the search indexing at the moment. Yeah. Now, further down the road, I have some ideas for how that could be used in other ways. And then maybe I'll come back to looking at making that something that you can edit. Um, but in the meantime, yeah. Yeah, the main way would be to fill in the fields for projects. But see, with gotcha. projects, you're doing that already. So it's not extra work. Yeah. Yeah. Like one idea I had as you're speaking there is when you import a file, have an option be to like when you import it, have it ask you. Which template should this belong to? Are there people that this, like, you have, like, five people and, like, you select one. So there's, like, kind of, like, an import um, pipeline of, like, it asking you a couple questions to get you rolling um, would be a way to handle some of that stuff, maybe. So one of the things you can do already is when you import, if you have a template selected or Mm -hmm. if you have uh, a smart folder selected, it will actually apply that information to the audio that you import. So if you go to the okay. um, iPad Pro's template, so that you're, mm-hmm. you're the, and then import a recording into that, yeah. it will automatically be associated with that template, so it will show up there. Okay. And if you import it into a smart folder that has tags applied, it will get those tags. So, um, so if oh, you I have see. a okay. tag for, um, I saw Jason Snell had one uh, that he'd set up for theme tunes. So if you select that mm-hmm. smart folder and then import a piece of music, it will automatically be tagged with theme tunes. Nice. Yeah, because that's, I don't use tags much, but with the smart folders, I think I may start to find new uses of it I haven't before. Um Backtracking just briefly with the audio engine, did you experiment with 2.25 speeds and beyond with two is? I'm not sure I could handle it, but I'm not sure if that's a a thing you played around with, seeing how fast it could go before it just is complete gibberish. I think two is a technical limit, but don't quote me on that. You said yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you know... right. It's been a while. I'm trying to remember. I think two was a technical limit for reasons... Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. 
And then you have the smart folders. Uh, what kind of things can make up a smart folder? You mentioned tags. Uh, what are the different criteria? So, yes, smart folders have access to the full power of the new search system. So anything you can do in search, you can do in a smart folder. So that means you can search for text and... Um, Ferret's always supported searching the titles of the items in your library, but as you mentioned, it can now search for people. It can search for, um, it can search bookmarks. It can search, uh, chaps titles of podcasts and, uh, show notes fields. And I'm probably forgetting something else. Um, so there's all those options just for the text. Uh, you can search for tags. What's new is mm -hmm. you can search for things that don't have tags. So you could have a tag that says this has actually been broadcast now. And then you could have a search for anything that hasn't yet been broadcast. Oh, based on the published date of that episode? No, just if you tag something to say broadcast when it, mm -hmm. when it is, then you could have yeah. a smart folder that only shows you things that haven't yet been broadcast because you search yeah. for the broadcast tag. but search for things that don't have it which is one of the new mm -hmm. features and um, the other thing is that there's now smart tags which are a, a sort of separate set of tags that are automatically applied by ferrite based on information that it knows about the file so an obvious simple example okay. is whether it's mono or stereo um, yeah and right now there's a small collection but i'm hoping to expand it over time so it it tracks things like um, a recording. It knows whether it was recorded in the app or whether it was imported from elsewhere, stuff like that. Okay. And what have you seen during the beta period for how people are using these smart folders? You mentioned Jason Snell has a, uh, a music, a theme music kind of... Uh... So Ferrite doesn't have any phone home spy on what you do stuff, so I haven't... Yeah, I only know about stuff if people actually tell me, and I haven't heard a lot back right. from it yet, so I don't have a good answer for that. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> all good, yeah. And something that I was thinking of regarding all the smart stuff is I often do an episode and I'll have, you know, one or two tracks sent in to me, uh, depending on how many people are on, and they're all similar length, similar date, and I'm wondering, have you thought of ways to kind of group stuff together that it seems like this is probably all part of the same project? Um, is that an idea that's kind of, I imagine the UI might be a bit tricky to try to do that and not have any mess ups with how that works. It is a little tricky. Um, I have ideas along those lines. I don't have anything concrete. Yeah. Um, I would like to improve, particularly when you ha the workflow when you have a lot of people in a single podcast, or if you have mm -hmm. a lot of people in person on different mics in the same recording. Both of those things are areas yeah. I'd like to improve further, but I don't have anything concrete right now. Okay. Yeah. That was just something I was thinking of. And I guess the whole import procedure that I mentioned before, if it if you're importing like three things at once, that could be part of the thing where it's like asking you to kind of like um, name who, who it is and, you know, what episodes associated with. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because um, there, there are a lot of smart things. So it's uh, um, in the future, it'll be uh, fun to see how that kind of evolves. Um, and then any other library type things that we haven't covered that you'd like to? Have we mentioned template folders yet? We mentioned it just briefly during the import. But yeah, uh, you've had templates in the past with Ferret 2. Yep. And that was a big improvement to just getting podcasts done because um, you hit new episode and it fills in all the, the stuff that you need to every single time. 
Um, and that's been great. So how do the template folders work? So um, what you're saying there about making new episodes, that's actually been streamlined in Ferrite uh, 3. It used to be kind of, uh, let's say it was practical, functional, <laughs> but not beautiful. Yes. <laughs> um, in the... It had those kind of giant uh, scroll wheel style, you know, like the setting the timer used to be with the giant wheel that you would flip up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And now it's just a single page form with custom controls that um, just looks very modern and gives you a preview of all those uh, details that are going to get filled in. So, um, for example, a simple example is that it takes the the date that it's going to be broadcast and it can take the year mm-hmm. from that and automatically fill in the copyright field. So that it says, you know, copyright Tim this year. Um, yeah. And it will show you a preview of that at the bottom of the form ready to go. But the template folders themselves... They're like smart folders that are created automatically for your templates. Mm-hmm. So they include the template itself. They include any projects that you created from that template. And it also includes any archives made of the projects. That's one of those things I was saying earlier about being able to inspect the files in more detail is that it can, yeah. in the background, if you have a zip file in your library, it can open that up, look inside, see that it has a project in it, look inside the mm-hmm. project. It doesn't need to unpack the whole project, which could be a lot of data. Huh. It only it needs to yeah. grab the little bit of information that tells it this was made from a template. And then it can look up that template, see that it's in your library and go, ah, this archive, even though this is a file inside a, file, a project inside an archive, yeah. I know that this belongs to that. And so that will appear in the template folder, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, any audio or whatever that was imported while that folder was open. What it's useful for is that you can really just um, focus on a particular project because you're probably going to have a template for iPad Pros. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you have other podcasts, you can have a template for those. And so... Um, that lets you just focus on the particular project or show that you're working on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's super nice. Um, just It's in the sidebar. You can just click on that and add a new episode and see all the files associated mm-hmm. with it. Um, we'll dip back into the library in a bit, uh, but I want to dive into context menus mm-hmm. a bit because um, these have been greatly expanded. I forget if Era 2 had any um, context menus, but they're definitely... A core part of uh, the interface here. Yeah, I, I don't think Ferrite Two did have much in the way of context menus, but um, Apple have expanded the the features of their menus because before we were using yeah. um, custom menu implementation in Ferrite Two, um, but we're now using the standard system menus because they've become much more advanced recently. They support really yeah. nice sub menus that sort of cascade open. And so we make full mm-hmm. use of that. Yeah. In terms of context menus, you just mentioned uh, the templates themselves in the sidebar. You can right click or long press on those and that lets you make new episodes or edit the template sort of settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, smart folders, uh, presets, MP3 chapters, audio bookmarks, uh, deleted items, uh, you can long press on cover art or chapter art as well um, to change it and pick where you want to bring uh, the images from and stuff. So yeah, there's yeah. quite a lot of new context menus. The playback speed in editing is another one. Yeah, you can yeah do that both there. in edit- yeah. the editor and in the library when you're previewing items there, you can long press on the play button. Yeah. 
And yeah, the managing chapter markers is something that, uh, in, so in Ferret 2, you do like a swipe, yeah. uh, like left or right, um, to move um, the where the chapter is and whatnot. Um, something I, I do um, do quite a bit is I hit um, a chapter and I want to move my playhead to start editing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you have to kind of go into the context menus to get there. Um, and I'm, that's kind of an interesting, um, I guess not problem, but, uh, UI consideration to when I hit a chapter, should I be moved there in the, with the playhead or am I just opening that chapter to edit the, what the chapter is all about? Um, what's, what's been the process like of just working with chapters and kind of thinking these things through? Yeah, it is a, it's a difficult one trying to figure out what people are going to want to do more often. And I figure yeah. that it's, I don't think there is necessarily one right answer because it depends on how you use them. But I guess I anticipate people mostly adding chapters towards the end after they've edited, but maybe that isn't necessarily yeah. how people go about it. So in that case, they're less likely to want to jump to them. But I know that some people do use right. them a little bit like... Um, the main time markers. I do for the um, jumping to them is if I'm, after the fact, I'm doing the mid-roll ad break, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff. Um, but most time, I'm creating them on the go, and then I'll, at the very end, do the cleanup where I add URLs and kind of make sure everything's spelled right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to announce today, but I have, I do have some ideas for how to improve navigation within projects in future. The, um, yeah. I haven't made any decisions, but I've got ideas along yeah. the lines of maybe having a pop-up menu that goes, that lets you jump to chapters or something like that. But we'll have to mm-hmm. see how it all shakes out. Yeah. So we mentioned before the UI has been rewritten in many, many places. And one of the places that I appreciate the most is the strip silence place. Uh, okay. Windows. Because in the past, um, with I think it was a rotating dial yep. versus now it's a bar. It depends on how much space you have available, but yes. Okay. <laughs> if you're using a, an iPhone in portrait mode and there's very little uh-huh. space, it'll switch back to the yep. dials because that actually makes better oh. use of space. Because they're right. curved, you get more detail in a smaller amount of space. But if you're on iPad where there's plenty of space, then yeah, it will stretch out into nice big bars that allow you to yeah. really dial in in fine detail. Yeah, I'm finding I'm not stripping stuff that I shouldn't be as much in Ferret 3 because it feels more granular. Like I yeah. can really go in and really, yeah, I can start at 0% and see what's I'm being stripped. And you could, I believe, always do this. You can go in and to the stripped areas before you delete it to make sure. Yeah. My, are those really things yeah. I should be getting rid of? Yeah. There's a couple of other things. So it's, yeah. Uh, one is, I think, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while. I think that the the gearing is slightly changed, if you see what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the slider isn't a one to one match. In other words, if you drag the slider 50% of the way across, that's not 50% of the volume because it's very rare yeah. that you care. <laughs> about wanting to strip silence at like 90% volume because yeah, if, it feels easier to get like a 0.1% in this yeah. new UI. So it feels now, easier to get the smaller yeah. increments. So essentially, I think, like I said, I don't remember the exact formula, but you could imagine that it's something like the first half of the bar is maybe only the first 
it's like the quietest 10% of the values yeah. because that's where you actually need all the fine detail because yes. that's the difference between silent, silent and almost silent, but there's just <laughs> a little bit of air conditioning mm -hmm. hum in the background or something like that. Yeah. So that's one of the things. And the other thing is um, with the dials, when you drag them, there's like a little, or in Ferrite 2, there was a little pop-up, almost like a tooltip that showed you the current value. And mm -hmm. now the value is always shown while you're adjusting it. That's actually an editable text box. If you tap on that, you can actually type in any value you want. Uh -huh. I mean, that's a valid value. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that's another thing that's new. Um, yeah. So, and that carries out, sorry, that carries through all of the control panels in Ferrite 3 that are kind of native to Ferrite as opposed to from plugins. So, yeah. Ducking and strip silence and Titan audio and all of the built-in effects all support that stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I noticed it with the ducking the other day. Um, I tapped it. It's like, oh, I can type in there. That's very nice. Um, with the iPhone with haptics, does that wheel have any haptics that go along with it when you're doing the... Um... I think it does. I think it does, yeah. I think that yeah. um, it bumps into the ends... And I think it also, mm -hmm. and this would also apply to the sliders, I think, on iPhone because the iPad doesn't have the Taptic Engine. Um, right. I think also the notches uh, have a little bit of a click to them as well. The notches are, nice. are like yeah. um, something like the pan dial that pans from left to right. You often yeah. want it to be exactly in the center. So if you get even close mm -hmm. to center, it just kind of slips into a notch there. And you can, yeah. and, and on iPhone, you can feel that happen through your finger, which is kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> kind of nice. Yeah. So uh, with strip silence and tighten, it's you like long press on the audio clip you're wanting to work with, and it's always um, you have to hit the arrow in the context menu to get to the very end. You can also is that a across it now? I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> And it has this kind of graceful animation. The the kind of the pop up menu, and this isn't me, this is Apple. Uh -huh. But that yeah, because that's the standard editing menu that you get when you edit text. Yeah, I was I was else. wondering, yeah, I was wondering if you were forced to put your own custom stuff at the very end of the list versus at the very beginning of the list. I think so because I think because okay. cut, copy, and paste are standard editing yes. text commands. They get pushed to the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Apple rewrote those menus for iOS 16. So now if you swipe across them, all of the stuff just kind of goes whoosh into a new... I'll have to try yeah. that. Yeah, because, yeah. Am I right that that's the... Um, is there a keyboard shortcut or is that the only way to get to to the strip silence? I uh, I could look it up, but I can't remember if there's a keyboard shortcut or not. Yeah. i pretty sure... No, there must be because there's an icon, and if there's an icon, there's a shortcut. Oh, so so and there is an icon you can add to your interface as well if you want to yeah. have that there. So okay. for people who aren't engrossed in ferrite and don't know what we're talking about, um, yes, <laughs> there is a, an optional second toolbar in ferrite that you can turn on if you want it. Uh, it's off by default so that the app mm -hmm. doesn't open up looking like the interior of a flight simulator. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and that toolbar is customizable. You can choose which uh, icons you want to have in it or not. And uh, Strip Silence is one of the icons. So you can drag that out to your okay. uh, shortcuts bar 
and get quick access to it that way. And any of the icons in the palette for the shortcuts bar, you can also assign your own keyboard shortcuts to if they don't have one already. Very nice, yeah. Because um, something that's, I wouldn't say unique to Ferrite, because I'm sure some other apps do it, but it's incredibly rare, is that Ferrite lets you set up your own keyboard shortcuts. You can go into uh, tools, settings, editing, keyboard, <laughs> and there's a <laughs> massive list of commands, and it's uh, searchable, and you can, if you're using the pro version, you can change what they are. So you can set up the keyboard shortcuts to be whatever suits you. And it's super nice. I have it set up. It's kind of like how you have video games on PC. You have one hand operation for controlling your character. <laughs> Was D D F. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that Ferrite set up like that, where I can do my edit with one hand and be touching the screen with the other. It's 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 really like being able to customize those controls. You can really make it, you know, speak to how you want to work. Yeah. It's just it's great. Yeah. Because um, what I'll do is I'll do an edit and then I'll do like select all and you know, move the playhead to the last cut and move everything following mm -hmm. the select all back to where that is and just works so well. Um having just I think it's probably like four or five different keyboard shortcuts that invoke. Yeah. Um as far as the redesigns, um you've redesigned the audio info, project info, template info, a bunch of these windows and I noticed with the uh, project info you can copy the chapter text right there, which is super nice because I'll hit the little gear icon within a project uh, pop-up and um, I'll copy the chapter text to put it in the, um, the description for the episode. So it's nice having it there. Um, I remember in the past I had to go to the main list and kind of, I think it was through the share sheet in the past to get to the, the chapter info. Oh, okay. Up in the top left, you can go. Um, no, that, I think that did get added at some point during Ferrite Two, but I was it okay? Think, or maybe yeah. That menu was definitely there. I can't remember for certain if chapter info was there, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a while since I've used Ferrite Two, to be honest. So it's I'm kind of forgetting what um, what was there. I, I felt new to me, but I might be wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, that panel has been completely redesigned. Um, a lot of the interface has been rewritten using SwiftUI, which um, mm -hmm. the thing about SwiftUI is that it's, everyone says SwiftUI, it's declarative because that's the one fact that sort of leaked about it before it was announced. But when Apple announced it, they described it as, if I remember rightly, a responsive, declarative, composable UI system. And it's the responsive bit that's relevant here because mm -hmm. um, it's really good at responding to changes. And that's important when you have something like Stage Manager where the screen size can change at any moment. And yeah. where you can go into the settings and change your fonts. In fact, you don't even need to go into settings anymore. I think you can add it to uh, the control center. So you can change yep, font sizes to change there. the size. Yep. So having to deal with the layout challenges of differently sized fonts, differently sized screens or windows, and still having a layout that's actually readable and useful is quite mm -hmm. a lot of work and that's where SwiftUI has come in quite handy and that was a big part of the motivation behind 
rewriting these panels. So for example, if you open up project info and there'll be on a, a nice big iPad with a smallish font, there'll be four pieces of information and I'm trying to remember what they are for the top of my head. And I think it's like the creation <laughs> date, the duration of the project, uh, the number of audio clips that are in it, and maybe the modification date is in there as well, or the mm -hmm. file size, something like that. And they will be arranged horizontally one after another in a, a, a line. If you're on iPhone or have a larger font size, they'll be in a two by two grid. And if you're on a small iPhone and a big font, they'll be in a column one underneath another. They kind of get reflowed mm -hmm. almost like a responsive yeah. website to adjust to all of that stuff in real time. And that kind of adaptability. And again, uh, as we mentioned earlier about the dials and the sliders, that's something else that will reconfigure itself as the screen size gets bigger or smaller or the font size changes. A lot of these panels have been redesigned to support stuff like that. Um, something else that I massively rewrote was the archive viewer. Um, yeah, Ferrite supported archives. I'm pretty sure since the outset in version one, so that you could zip up. Your yeah, and then in Ferrite, yeah, then Ferret 2, I think it had a better workflow for backing those up and, you know, dealing with those. So yeah. the thing is, the main purpose was just to, as you say, back up your projects or move them off the device once you're finished with them so that you can put them on cloud storage or something like that. And then when you bring them back in, you can unpack them again. But I figured it would be useful to be able to look inside in case you have, in case there's just one audio file in there that you want or something like that. Like maybe yeah. you've misplaced the theme tune and you've got an old archive that has the theme tune in it. So you just want to pull that out. Mm -hmm. And so in earlier versions of Ferrite, there's always been this archive viewer, but it was very, very basic. It was pretty much just a list of file names and then you would select one and hit mm -hmm. unpack. The new archive viewer is almost like a little mini finder window. It has columns. Yeah. You can tap the column headings to sort on them and tap again to flip the sort order. And that all animates. And then you can, you can even drag files out and into other apps that support those file types. <laughs> That's really cool. And yeah. so, and if there are subfolders, you can unfold those and Again, this is, and I bring this up because this is another example mm -hmm. of the whole SwiftUI responsive thing, because obviously there's a bunch of columns for, you know, there's the file name, there's the file type, there's the size, there's the date. If you're on an iPhone in portrait, you don't have room for all of that. So it has to start dropping columns, but it doesn't just get rid of them entirely. It starts shuffling the information. It kind of moves down into the main item so that you have the file name and then underneath in a kind of like a subtitle it'll have uh mp3 three megabytes and stuff like that will get shuffled under there and you can still sort on those pieces of information using a little sort button that gets added as soon as it starts having mm -hmm. to drop columns and again this has to respond not just to screen size changes but font size changes and windows resizing in stage manager and lots of stuff <laughs> so uh this um yeah this is where swift ui comes in invaluable because ui kit is a lot less flexible in these ways like you can do all of this stuff but it means that whenever something changes you pretty much have to tear down the entire view hierarchy and build a new one from scratch and in swift ui you can just kind of throw a bunch of views at a, at a layout that knows how to adjust them automatically and that just saves a lot of time and makes the app a lot nicer to use yeah and it does show and i will i will 
fairly often make the ferret window a tiny iPhone size window on the iPad when I'm going in for the publishing process mm-hmm. to copy out the description and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, if you're just on iPad, you will notice this stuff too. It can be useful for things like um, drag and drop as well. Like if you want to drop in some artwork for mm-hmm. a chapter, something like that. Yeah. Or links. I think you can drop links in as well. Yeah, I think I have done that in the past. Most time I do the copy-paste thing, mm-hmm. but yeah, drag and drop does does work there. Um, and then one of the big changes is just the whole export process. Mm-hmm. And um, can you kind of walk us through the changes there? And there's a difference between share and export and kind of why the differential there as well. So export has always been a little bit frustrating on iOS if you're making a pro-level app because on the Mac, you can go file save as or file export or whatever and you get a standard system panel that lets you browse browse Mm -hmm. the finder but you can also add custom controls to select file format bit rate and all of this kind of information and ios just doesn't support that or rather it doesn't support it for us apple can do that if you share a photo out of the photos you know your main photos um uh, your photo library sorry brain (laughs) blah Yes. Um, if you go to share a photo from the Photos app, it has a little options button underneath, and that lets you do things like turn mm-hmm. off um, privacy, you know, privacy sensitive information like your location. Yeah. As far as I know, there's no way for third party developers to do that. So you have, right. you don't have the ability to customize the way that exports happen. So to try and work around that, in the past, what Ferrite would do is you can add commands to that panel so i'd have commands to do other kinds of export but it's kind of confusing and often they're a little bit hidden yeah and you'd have like five or six ones that kind of clutter up this list by by doing and it then when you select the way where one, you want everything it just kind of makes the panel disappear and then it reappears because it has to reopen the panel with new settings and so people are like did that yeah. work or not am i doing the right thing am i not mm-hmm. i don't know because there's no feedback mechanism so right. Now what we do is essentially front load all of that stuff. If you're just doing a standard export with the standard settings, you just hit the share button and you get the standard share sheet and you don't have to worry about anything. But if you want to do any kind of advanced sharing or conversion or any of the kind of extra commands, Mm -hmm. the share button gets a little down arrow, arrow chevron button at sort of bolted onto the end. And if you tap Mm -hmm. that, then you have a single menu that brings all of those different options together and they're kind of grouped under, uh, is it share or export? I think it's export and convert. So export will let you do things like export the audio itself, which is basically the same as tapping the share button on its own Mm -hmm. or exporting a project as an archive or um, exporting it as video which is, don't get excited, it's not a video editor, but it, what it means yes. is that if you want to post some audio to uh, a social network that doesn't actually support audio uploads, but they often mm-hmm. do support video, so it will generate a video that's just like a placeholder image, but with the audio attached as, as the soundtrack, and that lets you upload to, say, Twitter or whatever. And Yeah, a, or if you want a YouTube presence yeah. for your podcast you could do it that way so there's a few, so there's all the different sharing options in there and then in convert you can do things like turning projects into templates or um that's also where you can convert audio from one format to another so um that can be useful if you've got uh, audio in some weird sample rate or if you want to convert mm-hmm. it to mono or if you have a 
a, a stereo file that is actually two separate microphones recorded onto the left and the right channel say the left channel is the interviewer and the right channel is the guest something like that and you want to be able to yeah. edit them independently so you can just go into you just tap the sharing extra button convert and then there'll be something like split to separate um i can't remember the exact title but it's something like split to left and right channels yeah. and there's a, but yeah the you're splitting the, like a, the single track, road yeah. that branches into two and then you'll get separate uh tracks for each of those and then you can add those to the editor separately so that you can edit them independently nice yeah and i'll often just do the convert to mono thing for my final project because i don't want stereo as my final you can do the you can do the export now you can do the MP3 um, mono final, as final export. Yeah, so, it's yeah. going to be faster if you go into the project settings and customize the export settings there because you can say okay. Um, it, uh, when you have project inflow open, you there's a if you're using the pro version, there's a, an export format field, and you can just set mm -hmm. that to be mono, and it will do it all in one. Um, and you can also set that on the template so that all of your projects get it. That's right. Yep. Um, yeah, I was thinking of, yeah, I do this weird thing where I'll export within Ferrate just the vo uh, the voice tracks to do the um, the leveling of the the tracks. So with the final mix in Ferrate, you can do, um, you know, strong or regular leveling mm -hmm. um, so you don't have the quiet part. So I'll go in there and, and get the export of just the voice tracks. And um, my final project will have music that I don't do any leveling with. And then I have a single track with all the voices as a second track. Okay. Um, so that's 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 where I will go in there um, for the, con I, I think it's a conversion option there. Uh, yeah, if you've got a project, you can go into there and convert the project back to a regular audio file, which then lets you pull it back into another project, which is slightly yes. involved, but is occasionally very useful. Yeah. Yeah. And about that final mix, um, you've got some new options, mm -hmm. here, uh, mainly for clipping protection. Yeah. Uh, can you walk through when this should be used? Uh, yeah. So in the new options um, here. So clipping, I'm sure you know, is where the audio just gets too loud and starts distorting. And um, when you look at the waveform, even though it doesn't look like it when it's zoomed out, when you zoom in close, you can see that it's a nice smooth wave. And what happens with clipping is that the wave gets too tall, basically, to fit on the track and falls off the edge. And those bits that go off the edge, they literally get clipped off. It's like they're on the edge of a desk and a, a bandsaw mm -hmm. or something just going went... And just cut those <laughs> parts of the wave off. So now you have something yeah. that, instead of looking like rolling hills, it kind of goes up and then it's just sudden sharp angle and then flat and then back down again. And when you play that yeah. back, it sounds terrible. So clipping is something yeah. you want it's to when the, It's when people get into the red if you're mm. looking at a, a recording. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, if you have auto leveling switched on, uh, ferrite has always well uh, for as long as it's had auto leveling it's had clipping mm -hmm. protection when it's switched on but um okay. you don't not everyone wants to use auto leveling because a lot of people yeah. who are more um you know experienced editors want to have fine control over it or like you were saying you want to have auto leveling on the voices but not on the music so there may be situations right. where you don't want auto leveling on Mm -hmm. So what's new is that you can have just the clipping protection part without the auto leveling. Oh, nice! Yeah, and so, uh, so that's the short version. Um, 
there's a couple of different options because you can say what exactly you want to do. So the three options right now are um, you can have clipping protection only, which is hands off for your levels, completely hands off unless there's some clipping and where it sees some clipping, it will just do a tiny little dip in volume around that bit. Um, and often if you've got a, a something that's mostly a really good clean mix, that's all you need. Um, yeah. If you have something. And then there's an occasional someone yell yeah. next. <laughs> but if you have something where the levels are a bit too loud, it's a bit too hot throughout, then, and it has to keep doing that over and over and over again, you're probably not going to get the audio quality you want. So the other options will adjust the volume just to bring it down overall if you have that enabled. So you can say normalize if clipping and it will look at your project as a whole. And if there's no clipping anywhere in the project, it will leave it completely untouched. But if there is clipping, it will reduce the volume to prevent that. And then there's uh, another option, which is normalize always, which will do uh, a passive normalization regardless of whether there's clipping or not. So the difference there is that if your audio is too quiet, it will also bring it up in the mix. Um, now, if you're thinking that sounds like auto leveling, the difference is that Mm -hmm. Auto leveling adjusts the volume throughout the project, whereas these are just a single flat adjustment to the whole project. So what that means is that if you have music that, say, fades out until it goes silent, auto leveling is trying to keep the volume constant. So as it fades out, the auto leveling is actually turning it back up again. Because that's Yes, that's why you wouldn't want that yeah. on for the music tracks. Exactly. <laughs> And so this won't do that. It would look at the project as a whole, decide whether the project is too loud or too quiet. And it's a single, like adjusting the volume on your hi-fi once, and then it will stay the same throughout the whole length of the project. I see. Okay. Yeah, I can see where that'd be useful. Yeah. And then the equalizer had a rewrite as well. Uh, I, not someone that uses the equalizer, I know many people do. Um, what were kind of the goals with this rewrite and kind of what situations should this be um, used for? So the equalizer itself hasn't been rewritten, but the user interface for it has. And the goals, okay. the goals is basically to help people understand what it's actually doing. Because mm -hmm. as you say, equalization is very useful, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing to understand. And um, yeah, you don't want to mess something up. It's like in photo editing, I don't touch the curves or levels because I'll adjust the other things that make more sense to me. Yeah. So with equalization, what it's what it's doing is it's turning the volume up and down, not uh, in time, but in frequency. So if you mm -hmm. have, so what that means, you can do things like turn the high pitched sounds up or down or the low pitched sounds up or down. Mm hmm. This can be used for all sorts of things. Um, sometimes if you have mains hum, so it might be 50 or 60 hertz, depending on where you are in the world. So you can just put a mm -hmm. little dip in around that frequency and just drop it down. Or um, you can use it to make voices just sound a bit better by rounding out the frequencies where the human voice is. And the exact, there isn't a, a one right setting because it's going to depend on each yeah. person's voice and the, the frequencies that they're, um, the, their diaphragm resonates at and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's more art than science. So okay. the new equalizer user interface is designed to help with that because instead of just being a single setting, the equalizer supports up to eight sort of control points and each control point can adjust a different set of frequencies. And that's a lot to take in at once. So the yeah. new editor, 
essentially draws a, a picture of it. So if you have mm -hmm. like the example I said about uh, taking out main thumb at 50 or 60 hertz, mm -hmm. what you would see is a straight line and then a little dip literally just drops down and then back up again around that frequency. And you can, yeah. uh, as you drag the control point around with your finger, you can see that happen. You can see that move and change. And so what I'm hoping is that it will help people understand what this effect is doing to their sound and have a better understanding of how they can put it to good use. Are presets something you considered with this? So if I get the right match for my voice in my recording setup to apply that equalization to future projects? Oh, yeah, you can save presets. It's been you can yeah okay. that's been around. It's for been there time. for a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's a few built-in ones, but like I say, the problem with that is that there is no one right answer. So I can't make presets that everyone will be happy with. But um, they can find their they can find their bliss <laughs> and save <Yeah>. it. <laughs> and um, something kind of wild in Fairy Three is how deep you go with the recording uh, on, say, an Apple device like an iPhone. You can pick out from the five different microphones my iPhone has. I didn't even know my iPhone had that many mics. Uh, it actually <laughs> but you do. You list have, out all the mics. Yeah. It's actually not got five. It's got, I think, typically three physical microphones. And the okay. reason it has all of those is kind of what we were saying earlier about uh, noise reduction is that there's one that's there to pick up your voice when you're talking into it. Mm -hmm. There's one that's there to pick up the outside world when you're filming video. And there's another one that's there to pick up uh, sounds for noise cancellation purposes. And I'm making yeah. it sound like each one has one purpose, but it's kind of using a mix of them depending on how you're holding it and whether you're talking yes. using like holding it to your ear or holding it out in front of you and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the stereo stuff, they, these aren't really arranged for stereo. But no, they're not. <laughs> Apple ha added, I think a couple of years ago, a feature where they will synthesize stereo using a mixture of all of these different microphones and some crazy signal processing and probably some AI, I don't know. And yeah. they will turn it into a stereo <laughs> signal. And that is, we actually supported that in Ferrite 2, uh, but what we've now okay. added is much more customization over that. So you can say, do you want to use, so you can turn that on or off and you can select whether you want to have Apple tune their magic algorithms for the front or the back. So if you're holding the phone, looking at it and you're the one making the recording, you probably want it set to front. But if you're holding it out to mm -hmm. record somebody else that you're talking to, you probably want it set to back. Or you can just pick a specific microphone for mono recording just from that mic, if that's what you prefer. And you'll probably get a much more clean result if you don't mind losing mm -hmm. stereo. Um, and this mic selection, do USB microphones give you any kind of information that would let you, like, I know the Blue Yeti has, like, different options and stuff. I think most of that's a hardware knob on it, but I wasn't sure if yeah, USB mics do really much with this. exposed in a standardized enough way that we have access to it. Um, kind of okay. like we were saying earlier about Apple being sort of the gatekeeper between us and the outside world. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have some control. If the, if the microphone supports software gain control, you can adjust that from within Ferrite. Okay. Uh, and you can switch to the external microphone and back again. But if the external microphone has other controls, you're probably going to have to control that either with 
physical controls on the microphone itself, or sometimes they will have a custom app in the app store for their mic that will let you sort of, Mm-hmm. It has some special secret protocol for talking to the firmware in the mic to reprogram yes. it or whatever. And you'd have yeah, to Yeah, sure. That. I think as a lightning microphone that has their own app. For yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, when you're recording in Ferret, you've had this bookmark feature for a mm-hmm. while, which is, it's different from chapter markers. Uh, they do show up. It can, if it's your first time using it, you may think they're chapters, but they're a bit different. They're kind of just to highlight for your editing process. And you've added this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is for picking out things like if um, there's too much crosstalk or if somebody accidentally yeah. uh, swears and you're a uh, a clean show. Clean show. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. You can just hit the, the, the bookmark button. And then when you're finished recording, you can see all of those in a list. You can put labels on them if you're going to send them off to somebody else for editing. Or if you're the one editing, mm-hmm. you can just go into the editor and there's little dots in the timeline that mark where they are. You can jump to them. And if you did add any comments, those comments are shown up at the top in the timeline. So it helps you dial in on the places where you know you're going to need to edit the project. Yeah. And in Ferret 3, you can tap and hold when you do the bookmark. Mm-hmm. And you have all these presets here for coughing and stuff. And yeah. that seems like a really well thought out uh, new addition to it. I hope that people find it useful. Yeah, no, I think they will. Um, I, the one missing piece for me for recording on the iPad, as you're probably well aware, as everyone is, is uh, <laughs> I can sense um, where this is doing going. something like, yeah, we are having a FaceTime call right yeah. now. I'm recording on my Zoom H6, me on one track with my good mic, uh, my system audio for you on a separate track. Um, I would love uh, if I don't know share play or some way to have <laughs> a Fairlight. Like I even like your own app, Ferrite Ferrite Call Recorder, where uh, you're able to record separate tracks that integrate very nicely with Ferrite. Um, what's the la- latest on this whole scene on iPad OS? <laughs> Unfortunately, there isn't really a lot in the way of movement. I mean, when Apple announced SharePlay, I definitely paid attention to that and had a look yeah. at it. But the problem is that that's mainly about sending data across as part of an air uh, as a as part of a facetime conversation you can send other data Mm -hmm. backwards and forwards and that means that you could for example have a whiteboard that you can both be drawing on while you chat or you could play Mm -hmm. i don't know you could play chess or something this is kind of cool but it doesn't really help us here because (laughs) what we're really concerned with is is the audio data and this is share play is about apps providing data to FaceTime, not FaceTime providing data to the apps, unfortunately. Yeah. And as soon as something like FaceTime starts using the microphones, other apps that may have been trying to use the microphone get shut out. (laughs) So unfortunately, (laughs) this isn't something we can help with right now. Um, In terms of making a custom app, that is a very large scope of project. And uh, there's a lot of challenges associated with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. because you're not just dealing with the challenges of making a good quality recording application and also having a voice chat system. You you have to deal with people's routers and firewalls and why they're not working and Mm -hmm. NAT and the fact that... And availability. Yeah. Um, for this to get widespread adoption, you'd want it everywhere pretty much. Like you might be interviewing someone on the Windows, exactly. on Mac, if you've got you know, it, so availability is... Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not going to be running ferrite, so it's not something I can really help with. Um, 
We're very much yeah. focused on iOS, iPadOS rather than um, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, yeah, I don't so. have a good answer for that. I hope that one day Apple make things in the audio pipeline just that little bit more flexible so that we can support that directly uh, just by... Yeah, because, yeah, as you said, the big issue is if if we're doing a chat here, I can't have a separate app recording my yeah. local mic. Um, so you couldn't have someone, um, even just syncing the timestamps, you couldn't have yeah. like a, a local recording on someone else's end um, just because the way that all functions um, yeah. in iOS. It's, I think that a lot of that is from Apple's, I think that Apple, heard, because iOS started on a phone and a phone has very specific requirements about uh, how you make and receive calls because, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want somebody to not receive a very important call because they were doing something yes. else or not be able to make an emergency call or something like that. So obviously the entire infrastructure of ios is like this is a phone <laughs> and it needs to, be able to make and receive phone calls mm-hmm. and and privacy is important yep. for phone calls as far as recording apps that can tap into those Indeed. Yep. we don't want not mentioning any names here but we don't want certain apps being able to listen in on them <laughs> so yes that infrastructure is all in place for the iPhone and has obviously carried across to the iPad. And so I think the um, the audio systems here are just a little bit more locked down uh, and less flexible than on other platforms. And that's just something we yeah. have to deal with, unfortunately. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, the stage manager kind of points a finger at the audio subsystem not being up to snuff because when you're hooked up to an external monitor, it, it, it's very... It defaults to those speakers, and sometimes it's hard to switch out of that. You can't even select your iPad speaker if that has a better speaker than the crappy external <laughs> monitor has. So, hopefully, as there's pain points of people using this, and you know, you can't even select your iPad speakers. You know, the audio stuff hopefully will get uh, some attention in the future. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> um, so. We mentioned earlier that M2 iPad Pro has this new hover feature with Apple Pencil. Is this something you've explored at all? I know it kind of came out as you're wrapping up Fairy <laughs> 3, so I'm guessing it's been something kind of in the back burner until you had a bit more time to look at it. Yeah, I haven't looked at it in detail. I just, I'm not sure how best to use it in Ferrite because, like, the best example I've seen so far is adjusting brush size in, is it Procreate, mm-hmm. I think, does that? Yeah. And yep. that's really cool. I'm not sure there is no concept of a brush size in Ferret, so I'm not sure no. that's the kind of adjustment that makes sense. I think a lot of the things that you adjust in Ferrite already have uh, other ways of adjusting them, like fade in and fade out, that kind of... Something like the brush size is very transient because right. it's a setting that affects how the ink is going to get put onto the page. Something like fading in a clip is part of the document itself. So you want to be able to see it mm-hmm. in the document. And Ferrite shows that as like a ramp of the audio yeah. getting louder. And so when you come back to the clip later, you can see right there that it's been faded. And if you want to change it, mm-hmm. it, it you just grab that ramp from the top corner and just move it. Yeah. So I don't think having something like Hover to adjust that or other parameters like it would really help. So then I'm thinking, what do you use it for? And I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if Hover helps you snip. Yeah, I don't know if Hover helps you snap to the beginning of a clip or something, but I really, yeah, I don't know. It starts to get into um, mystery meat territory as well, where you're, yes. you're like, 
why did that suddenly snap? And the reason is because you were two millimeters closer to the screen than before. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe not what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of experimented that a little bit with um, 3D Touch back in the day, but I feel like yes. that's a little less mysterious because you're in contact Physically. with the screen. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure either. I don't know what it is because. Uh, as you said, like it, you're kind of like live interacting with this thing, and uh, you're as you're playing something, stuff's moving underneath you, and the hover. Uh, it seems like I'm not sure what this would be used for at this point. It either. is cool though. <laughs> it is, and in some apps, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, being able to snap to UI elements uh, could be useful for certain situations. Um, as far as um, the keyboard, any notable new keyboard shortcuts with Ferret Three? So I've, I've, as I mentioned before, you can customize your own keyboard shortcuts. So I've tended to not be adding new default keyboard shortcuts because yep. I don't want to take up keys that weren't previously used by Ferrite, but might have been used by somebody else for their custom keyboard layouts, if that makes yeah. sense. And I appreciate with Ferrite 3, my whole custom keyboard layout didn't get wiped <laughs> for me to restart from scratch. It's still in yeah. there. So <laughs> yeah. If you've used, I don't know, you're saying WASD. <laughs> if you use W for something, I don't want to come along yep. and add W as a default for something else entirely. So I tend not to add new keyboard shortcuts, but whenever I add a new command, it appears in that list so you can set it up yourself. Um, yeah. So there are a bunch of new commands in that list, mainly around uh, the speed controls that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So you can have shortcuts for 1x speed, 2x speed, half speed, and there's also a shortcut to toggle between the current speed and normal speed. So you can go to whatever speed you oh, like, nice. and you can yeah. be listening through to it at that speed and then just toggle down to 1x to make a change and then toggle back up to 2x or whatever you were using before to keep to resume your preview. Oh, that's super nice. I'll have to add that because, um, yeah, you don't have that. You take up two keyboard shortcuts for something yeah. you could do with just that one. That's nice. Yeah. And then any new settings in general that are in there that I may have not have I think noticed? the only new, outright new setting is for turning audio scrubbing on or off in, just in case you don't like okay. it. But the settings have been yeah. reorganized to be a little more uh, clearly laid out so that... Um, the sections all have icons now and they're pulled to the top of the panel so you can find them quickly and just the layout is a lot more clean and clear and modern and if you're assigning colors to things which in a couple of places you can um they use the new as of i think it came out last year the new system color picker that lets you use an eyedropper to pick up colors and stuff like that so uh before it was like a custom control that was um that i'd put together myself years ago but now it uses the apple one that's got a lot more features in it so yeah nice and then anything else on ferret 3 we didn't touch on that you'd like to before we wrap it up I think we've covered most of it, actually, pretty well. Um, one thing I would call out, actually, is uh, mm-hmm. this, this might seem an odd thing to suggest, but if yeah. you're checking out Ferrite and are confused about something, the customer support screen has an FAQ on it now, and it's searchable. Mm-hmm. And this is something that in a, a lot of places in Ferrite now, if there's a search field, as you type, it will start filtering live and then where the words match what you're typing, they get underlined. 
And mm -hmm. so it works like that. So you can quickly find answers to questions there. And this isn't just like a, a web page opened up in a web view. It's these are all Swiftway UI views. So it means that they can have they can have buttons in them that do things like you ask, how do I do this? And it has a button that opens the settings for that and or yeah. opens the relevant chapter in the user guide as well as providing you quick because there's a pretty comprehensive user guide in ferrite but it's it's a lot <laughs> if you're new to it and you've got yeah. okay here's this book um because it's a proper mm -hmm. you know it's not just a it is start. it's very extensive if you want to learn this app in and now just read the user guide spend an afternoon it's 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 very detailed it is but also people often want to get a quick answer to a quick question and that's yes. where this faq list comes in because it's much more targeted around specific tasks like how do i split multiple channels into separate files or how do i um mm -hmm. preview it to x speed and so you can just type, if you type speed into the search bar, you will see the answer to that question. And um, yeah, so I recommend people have a look at that. And that can actually be, I can update that remotely. So if I start getting a lot of questions, even without having to bring out a new update to the app, I can add new FAQs to that list. So uh, hopefully that will become a growing resource to help people find their way around the app. Nice. And it's available now as yep. we're talking. Um, and uh, even bef before this episode came out, because I have to edit this stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, available as a free download. Yep. And then to upgrade the Ferrite 3 Pro, it's $30. And mm -hmm. something that I bought once it hit the App Store, because I use this app all the time. Um, as far as um, if you're a Ferrite 2 Pro user, is there upgrade pricing or how does that all work? Yep. If you uh, have Ferrite 2 Pro already, then it's about half price to upgrade to Ferrite 3. Okay. Um, the exact numbers vary from region to region because of taxes yes. and exchange rates and all of this mm -hmm. stuff, but about half price. Um, okay. Just make sure that your Ferrite 2 Pro is already um, installed uh, when you open the panel and it should offer the discount pricing to you. Um, make sure that you're using the account that you purchased with. Sometimes people, yes. you know, they get a new iPad and they create a new account mm -hmm. and wonder where everything is. And it's yeah. like, it's in the other account. Yep. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, um, it's one of the advantages of using in-app purchases rather than purchase upfront is that I can just have different in-app purchases to allow mm -hmm. people to do upgrade, you know, so that I can support upgrade pricing. Yeah. And, uh, the the base free version is a good place to just dive in there and just see what it's all about then upgrade to the pro because there's a lot of good things in the pro <laughs> um and yeah as and all the things that were part of ferry 2 pro continue on yeah and you'll get those when you get the ferry 3 pro if you didn't uh, get that before yeah so um this isn't a situation where you know some apps they bring out version three or whatever and it's a whole new app and you have to buy it again this isn't like that if you've got ferrite 2 yeah. it will automatically update to ferrite 3 and if you paid for ferrite 2 pro your ferrite 2 pro features continue working in ferrite 3 um yeah but then you can yeah upgrade to ferrite 3 pro to get the latest stuff like the the fast preview and um the new smart folders and all of the rest of it at a discount which is nice awesome yeah well, thank you, Cass. This has been a great chat. I, I loved using this beta to save me so much time this uh, fall. Thank you for inviting uh, me on. It, yeah, absolutely. So um, for more information, where can people find uh, what's like the website uh, to check out? Yeah, so we're at uh, Wooji Juice, which is uh, wooji-juice.com. And I realize that's 
it's such a bad domain name because no one knows how to spell it. So it's <laughs> W-O-O-J-I dash and then juice as in fruit juice. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably you can just type Ferrite app into Google or Ferrite Recording Studio yes. or something like that. And just if whatever you search for, look to for Ferrite Recording Studio and it will probably be the right thing. At least it was when I checked just before we got online. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. And yeah, just pull up the App Store, search for Ferrite Recording Studio. You'll find it right there. Yep. Uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's my interview with Canis all about Ferrite Recording Studio 3. Learn more at wuji-juice.com. Download today in the App Store. My thanks again to Canis for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. You can support this show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or by subscribing in Apple Podcasts. My sincere thanks to everyone that supports the show. With that said, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.